When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode. Group D. England. Hi, I'm Gavin Hamilton, and this is my Euro's Road Trip. In this podcast, we're in Group D. The spotlight is on England, and for that, I'm speaking to Henry Winter. Henry, as you probably know, is the chief football writer of The Times. He's probably the country's best-known football journalist. He won't mind me saying that. He's reported on every England manager since Graham Taylor in the early 90s, and he's also extremely well-respected in in Europe. For quite a few years now, he's been the English voter for the Ballon d'Or, the annual prize organised by France Football Magazine and given to the world's best player. Now, I've known Henry for many years. The last game that we actually sat down next to each other was the 2018 World Cup final in Moscow. Um, But since then, and during lockdown, Henry has continued to report on games up and down the country. And because he goes to so many games, Henry talks to more people throughout English football than than anyone else I know. So he's really got his finger on the pulse of English football. And I don't think there's a better person to speak to about English football and the national team than Henry. Now, don't forget, there's a podcast for every nation in the Euros. So make sure you've hit subscribe in your podcasting app so you get the new shows as soon as they drop. And you can also listen back to the ones that we've done so far. So grab a cup of tea, stick in your headphones as we find out all about England with Henry Winter. Henry, thanks so much for joining me. First of all, how's how's your lockdown been? Because you are one of the hardest working people in football. You're always at a game. How strange is it to be in, in empty stadiums? Well, first, it's not work. I mean, the, the actual privilege of being able to go to a game and and actually seeing and admiring what the players are doing, the, the intensity levels that they're managing to maintain without fans in the stadium has been very impressive. I mean, it's been an extraordinary year in terms of covering different elements of the sport, you know, talking to the NHS, talking to the government, talking to clubs community departments and you look at the work that Marcus Rashford's done with his child food and poverty you look at the work the work that Deli Ali has done on on breakfast clubs Wilf Sahar you know with his 
handing over his properties to, to the NHS to live in while the pandemic's going on. I mean, it's, I find access easier, you know, at home, talk to them also on their mobiles or Zoom, whatever, and, and talk to them. And I actually think football's had a, it's a terrible thing to say, but actually I think we've seen the more human side of football. Obviously there've been the breaches of guidelines, but I think that football on the whole, the community work done. Yeah, little things like Old Trafford keeping their kitchens open so that they can support Fly hundreds of thousands of meals. I say a little thing, it's a huge thing. Bristol City, Ashton Gate, opening up their, their stadium to be used for vaccination. I think football's been very, very impressive. I think a lot of the leaders of this country have come from the dressing rooms. You look at Jordan Henderson, Mark Noble, um, Marcus Rashford, obviously, Hector Bellerin. I think they have been very upstanding individuals at a time of the country and the sport has needed them. So, yeah, I've been very proud of the, the sport. I mean, there have been a few idiots. But actually, it's been, uh, I mean, look, you've been working in it as well. You've, you know, it's been, I have to say, it's been a year like no other. But if one thing has completely come out of this year, apart from the admiration for the NHS and the key workers and the, you know, the people who've created this vaccine, is the fact that football without fans, as if we needed the reminder, is just, mm. it's pretty soulless. I mean, mm. you get into grounds and, you know, I've done more than 100 of these games behind closed doors and, uh, you know, you just sit there looking at empty seats and it's, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like kissing a shadow. It's not there. <laughs> Lewis Enrique said it's like dancing with his sister. Um, it was a, Is that what dance. he said? Yeah. 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 Well, my sister's a very good dancer, actually. So, um, yeah, I won't yeah. be able to keep up. Yeah, dancing with, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. They've got a different version for that where I come from. <laughs> In terms of England, we're looking at England ahead of the Euros. England had a pretty good qualifying campaign. Yeah, the odd hiccup. You know, defeat in, in the Czech Republic in Prague. Were they in a better place in 2020 ahead of you know the original tournament? They lost a bit of momentum since then, or is, is the delay has the delay to 2021 given Southgate a chance to bring in some new players? I think the delay has allowed Harry Kane time to get fit because I don't think he would have been fully fit. And you know, in England, like we love going into the tournament with uh, players who are not fully fit, going back to sort of Kevin Keegan in '82. So yeah, so Harry Kane being fit, Marcus Rashford, obviously at the time he was still sort of coming back from his his back issue. I think, I mean, if you want to take it from the back, I think it's important that Dean Henderson has showed his worth, obviously for Sheffield United. Obviously, everyone wants him to play more for Manchester United, but he's put a little bit more pressure on Jordan Pickford which has been needed Nick Pope's obviously been doing very well for Burnley I think it's great from a defensive perspective that John Stones has refound his mood his happiness his confidence his decision making his mojo call it what you like at Manchester mm. City and I mean one of his best games back I was down at Stamford Bridge in January and he was and where you sit you're socially distanced at Stamford Bridge at the lower tier of the main stand and we're kind of right down by the corner and John Stones was playing over that side of the pitch in the first half and it was really interesting just sort of watching and seeing close up close up still 20 yards away but how he would take the ball under pressure that confidence as well as that touch I think England are going to really need that as they go into the tournament so in terms of where England were I actually think England are probably in a you know, better place, more players have come through. I mean, England got about 400 right-backs now. Reese James has, has developed as well. So, uh, yeah, no, it's been pretty encouraging. And I mean, I, I calculated it was 54 players in 24 games since the, the World Cup that Southgate's used, including 11 debutants in, in the autumn games. The only other countries that have, have used as many players are Spain and Italy. Is that a reflection of 
the talent that's coming through or is it is it the staff that wants to try all the options that he's got available to him I mean you mentioned Spain and Italy the talent they've got coming through I saw the the Spain Germany game on television and you look at some of the players and you're going well I don't really know too much about some of these players obviously Ferran Torres we've seen at Manchester City how good he is and the different positions he can play in. and Italy as well have got players coming through and I think that always has to be highlighted and I think England have learned and there's a bit of hubris around the squad a bit more humility now that actually there's some very very good other teams re-emerging if you can say that about Italy and Spain as well as the true heavyweights like France and Belgium so yeah, in terms of sorry, what was your question? In terms of well, the in terms of just the youngsters that come. No, the through. youngsters. And, well, and look at Jude Bellingham. Lump, I mean, you yeah. know, look at Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham was like a sort of dot on the Midlands landscape, you know, 15, 16 months ago, and now he's in Germany. He's doing really well. I mean, he played for England, and I mean, they seem to be getting young. Maybe I'm getting older. It's like policemen, but the England players are getting younger and younger, and it's. You know, you almost want to ask them about their GCSEs when we do the sort of Zooms and the chats with them. And then you realise, well, actually, you know, some of, them are, some of them are still waiting for their grades for their GCSEs. They're so young. I think it's great because you've covered England, you've been to tournaments and you've brought a lot of perspective into, into sort of covering England. Whereas I'm sort of, sort of close up and maybe get a bit carried away with sort of the emotion and the drama and the circus of, of England. But actually, with this generation, they're pretty level-headed they're, and they're fearless. You know, the whole thing with England, and this is something that Gareth Southgate's always said, you know, fear is the key with England. Fear is the four-letter word that really inhibits England because England have always had some talented players. You go back to the 70s, you know, what was inhibiting them, you know, at a, player, at a time when there were so many sort of talented players around? I think there was a, almost like an institutional fear at some point of the flair of someone like Glenn Hoddle, was he used properly? Whereas I think Southgate's liberated that. He's liberated that in terms of the culture around the, the squad, but also in terms of the players going on the pitch. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, you saw Phil Foden, it was in the Iceland game, mm. where he took a high ball. I think Harry Maguire played a switch and he took the ball down first time and spun a couple of players. And it was just brilliant. So there is a, I like this fearless element, which obviously comes with, with young players. And I think what Southgate's also done, which we saw him very cleverly do before the World Cup going into Russia, is that he got all the 23 players when the squad had been assembled to St George's Park and said, right, you've got an hour sitting in front of the media. He'd been over to the Super Bowl and he'd seen how they'd done it from a media perspective. And rather than have this slightly adversarial element with the media, look, we can overplay the influence of the media, but it is an issue with, with England. I mean, you, you know, I remember talking to one very distinguished England player 10, five, six years ago. And uh, I was saying, this is amazing. You know, you've played so many times for your country. You've scored goals. You, you know, you're captain of the country. What's it like being in the tunnel as you're about to head out onto the pitch? And, he's, and I said, what's the last thing you think about? Is it, is it your family? Is it your pride? Is it the shirts? Is it the three lines? Is it the fans? And he said, no, the last thing I think of before I go on the pitch is uh, I worry about what, what ratings I'm going to get in the paper. Because if he gets a low rating, yeah. so like if, yeah. if I give Paul Pogba a low rating at Manchester United, that's, that's a club issue. If you get a low rating with England, that affects your family. That affects your kids if you've got young kids in the playground. That affects everything about you. You know. So what Gareth Southgate did before the World Cup, and I hope he does it again before the Euros, is that he got all the players around and said, listen, we've got this big clock. It's counting down. Just talk to the media. They'll come up. be radio, television, print. And it was, uh, I guess there were about sort of 100 journalists in there, TV, print, digital, online, all the, all the usual suspects. And they all spoke so well. And they all opened up. 
I think maybe some of them, because they're American sports fans, they know about the Super Bowl day where all, you know, Brady's sitting at a big table, he's got the world press around him. And I think they quite like that sort of NFL style sort of approach to the media. And they all opened up and Southgate had told them, and said, listen, at the time Raheem Sterling was getting criticised for the gun to two, sit down and explain to the media in a very, and the headlines were that morning of the day of this sort of press day, just talk to them about how it means for you emotionally losing your father when you were so young how the gun is a is your connection in a way with your father because he was gunned down in jamaica uh, and then sort of talk about it talk through your backstory and if anyone understands the importance of having a relationship with the media it's gareth southgate because the stick that he got when he missed the penalty at 96 was was mainly from the fans about he got four thousand letters i think of abuse including one from uh, from some england fan who was in prison who said gareth you're the reason why i'm in whichever prison it was because the moment you missed that penalty against germany i ran out of my local pub and trashed every german car i could see and went into prison so gareth understands the importance of getting he's such a nice guy he gets on with the media anyway he's worked in the media but he said listen build that relationship with the media make them realize that you're human beings so i was talking to carl walker who was, i said you know what's the first world cup you, uh, you saw, he said, well, so growing up in uh, Sheffield, um, we had a television which we had to put, it was a coin-operated television. So there'd be a great moment in whatever World Cup it was, maybe France 98. And my dad was having to put 50Ps in it so we could see the, uh, the, the shootout or Beckham getting sent off. So that sort of human side, I, I think it changed the media approach in terms of you writing about these players as humans, yeah. as well as these athletes, these robots. And I think it changed it. And that message then got through to, to the fans. The fans were sort of more supportive. And I think taking away that fear was one of the reasons why England got to, uh, to the semi-finals in Russia. Do you think Southgate has a team in his mind already? I mean, he's used yeah. all these players and, and, and tried out all these different options. Do you think he's, he's got a pretty good idea already of what his team will be in, in the first game at the Euros? He pretty much let that slip when we were talking to him after the World Cup draw and whenever it was early December. Someone asked him a question of, presumably all you can do now is pray that no one gets injured before the Euros. And uh, he sort of said, yeah, I pretty much know who my 23 are, but there's always room for a wild card. You know, like a year ago with Bakayo Saka have been on his radar. Six months ago with Jude Bellingham have been on his radar. You know, and those two have sort of run and played their way into contention. So there's always the room for the late... I mean, 2006, I was about to get on a plane to Germany and suddenly Theo Walcott's name popped up. You know, there's always that sort of late wild card. But I think he does know his starting 11. I mean, my issue, and it, this will be the whole issue going to the tournament, probably through the tournament, is why is he playing with wing backs? Why is he playing with five at the back? Is it because he wants to protect Jordan Pickford more? Is it because he's not quite convinced about which central defenders he wants to use? And I think injuries permitting, his first choice starting 11 would be, I'm writing this down, uh, Pickford. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Chilwell as his sort of fullbacks, wing, basically wingbacks. He loves Maguire. I think Maguire will be in there. He's vice-captain. He loves Dyer, so I think Dyer will be in there. Ideally, I mean, he likes Connor Cody because he's a leader. He likes Tyrone Mings, partly because he gives that left-sided option and he can also cover a, a left-back. But I think John Stones's form, he loved him in the World Cup. I think he will see this. So I think you're, you're looking effectively at back six of Pickford, Alexander-Arnold, Stones, Dar, Maguire and Chilwell. Henderson will always be in there because he's a leader, because he's, well, he's football of the year. He's just, he's just 
Liverpool and England look better when you've got Henderson driving them on Jordan Henderson of Liverpool. He loves Declan Rice, so I think Rice will be in, in there. His front three almost pick themselves of Sterling, Kane and Rashford. I mean, you know, others have, others have been staking their claim, like Sancho. Obviously, we've looked at Grealish's impact, Foden's impact. So my maths is terrible at five. So I think that's it. I think. Oh, that's it. I'd like to sort of delve a little bit deeper into yeah. the, the tactical options. Let's just take a quick break. Right, back with Henry, talking about England at the Euros. Tactically, Henry, you, you mentioned the 3-4-3. Three, three. I guess that's a development from the, certainly development from the 4-3-3 the three, three that was used during the qualifiers. But at the World Cup, he was... He was it was a three-five-two, essentially, wasn't it in Russia? Yeah, it was. So, this, so this three-four-three is is a development, is it? But you're not you're not convinced by it. I'm not because I think the best that England have played in a tournament and out of a tournament, with respect to some of their football against Colombia in the World Cup, was the four-three-three used in Spain down in Seville after the World Cup. I thought that was fantastic, and England absolutely went for them. I think you've got two fullbacks in Trent Alexander-Arnold and Chilwell who will push up anyway. So even if they're playing fullbacks, you know, even if they play back fours at their clubs and they're more than happy to, uh, to, to push up. Look, if England are going to get to a tournament, to get far into a tournament, and they should do in this tournament because they've been blessed with possibly five of the, uh, the games at home, I think they've got to be bold. Play with two centre-halves, whether that's Stones and Dyer, those are his best two centre-halves in terms of form and mode, but he, he'll always start with Maguire. And then have a Henderson and Rice. You've also got either of those can sort of drop back and, and, and help out defensively. And then that gives you, you know, an opportunity to have a more creative player. I'm a huge Foden fan. I just think England have got such a talent there. I mean, when you've got a manager of Pep Guardiola's quality and experience and judgment, deciding against sending him out on loan, two years ago, effectively, with Phil Foden, because he believed that he would be such a force that he would be David Silva's successor. And every time Foden's played, he's impressed. He's learning in training. He's learning in games. You know, if you're good enough for Pep Guardiola, it should be good enough to start for sort of Gareth Southgate. So, I mean, I think a midfield of maybe Henderson, Rice, with sort of Foden maybe tucked in or weaving around, and then that Sterling, Kane, Rashford attack. I just think England have got to be bold. I don't think the goalkeepers good enough and the defence certainly from a defensive perspective is good enough certainly in terms of defending set pieces which is an issue for England you mentioned Pickford and the possible need to to, to protect him is he still the first choice because Pope's been playing very well but none of the other options are that experienced are they so will he stick with Pickford He'll stick with Pickford. He's, he's actually fairly loyal, even though he brings a lot of players into his, into his squad. I think he will stick with Pickford. He likes his distribution. As Gareth always says, Pickford's never let England down as much as you know, any issues he's had with, uh, with Everton. You know, we've seen with some of the decisions that Pickford's made, like his challenge on Virgil van Dijk in the Merseyside derby. His judgment can be a bit rash at times. But look, he did well in the World Cup. He's, you know, he can save penalties. He can take penalties. He's got, you know, that sidewinder that he plays can release Chilwell if he wants to sort of ping it down the left or release Rashford. So I think Pickford will be in there. He likes strong characters and Pickford never hides. Yeah. Talking of strong characters, Grealish has emerged yeah. this this season, playing very well for Villa, and finally got his England debut uh, in the autumn. Where does he fit into this system? Because Southgate does like to have a system, doesn't he? And he's insisted, seems to have insisted that that Grealish fits into the the system rather than finding a way to 
you know to bring Grealish in. Elsewhere. You almost got the impression at one point, certainly listening to Gareth talk about Grealish, that he would almost like him to fail. Now I can't believe he would he would genuinely want that because the more options he's got, the better. But the fact that Grealish came in and just mixed it up a bit. I mean, out in Denmark when he came, I was I was there. It's one of the rare away games I've got to during lockdown, and he really made a difference. That's sort of creativity. He's got this energy. He's just, you see him on the ball, he'll win free kicks, and particularly at international level. And that, that will be useful for England because England have got some fantastic free kick takers. You know, particularly if you look at Trent Alexander Arnold, I mean, you know, he could well be worth looking at for free kicks at the tournament. So I think there are one or two off field issues with Grealish that we've seen during lockdown. And I think that Southgate's very wary of over promoting a player in terms of hyping him up in the in the media and you know what the English media are like you know someone wins a corner we're hailing them as the new Pele so I think maybe he's sensible in that he wants to send a message to Grealish to be a bit more disciplined off the field as as well as on but every time Grealish has played for England he's looked good so I, look, I think he'll be a fantastic option from the bench yeah he can actually fit into a 4-3-3 far more than Southgate's 3-4-3 Anyway, yeah. but, but, that, but Southgate's wedded to 3-4-3, three, three, so yeah, I mean, that that's that seems to be the problem that he's, yeah, he does stick with this 3-4-3, three, three, then you've got, essentially, there's only two midfield places in, in that midfield four with the wing backs. So if he's got, brave, he drops either Henderson or Rice and puts yeah. a mount in there. And that is, I think possibly you could do that against the Czech Republic. I think Croatia, the first game for England, I think he'll go a bit more straightforward. Yeah. I mean, Scotland is a game for Henderson and Rice and your dogs of war, because it will be, you know, Scotland got some fantastic ball-playing midfielders and so many good left-backs. But I think that we, we know what's going to happen in that game. <laughs> yeah. and, and it'll be a fight. It'll be a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, Scotland have got some, you're right, they've got some decent ball players. Um, they've got some good players, but the whole dynamic will take over. It will be Braveheart revisited. I mean, I was on a Zoom call with Declan Rice at the West Ham training ground doing an interview with him, and David Moyes, proud Scott, West Ham manager, walked through and he said hi, he sort of poked his head into the screen and sort of said hi to me. I know David well. And, um, he, he immediately, because he associates me with sort of covering England as well as club football, he said, oh, I can't wait for that game. And he actually started talking to Declan Rice about travelling down with his dad, who used to organise buses from Glasgow for the Tartan Army to head down to London and picking up all the, picking up carryouts of beers and whiskies along the way and then booking into a room in Euston for a two-bedroom and 10 of them being in there. And David Morris was actually at Wembley in 77 when the Scotland fans invaded the pitch and broke the, uh, the, the crossbar and dug up the, the, the pitch. Wow. And Rice was listening to this and it was almost an education of there's a different dynamic going on here. <laughs> this is not about tippy-tappy, getting the three points and qualifying. This yeah. is about history. This is the oldest England international. You know, I just hope the fans are going to be there because it's one of the great internationals yeah. when, the, yeah. you know, when, when the fans are there. So, look, we know the dynamic for Scotland and England. What about, what about players who are out? I mean, he's, he's experimented with a lot of players and we, we, we're not really expecting that many new players to be called in, are we? Although Southgate, he is prepared to, to throw a few wild cards in there and pick players on form. So are there any, any players that could make a late run for the squad, do you think? Just looking at Emil Smith's rose performances for Arsenal off the bench and then starting for Arsenal, particularly you know, when he came in, in in December, late December, January and started doing well, he's 
ball a little bit of a little bit of, sort of something different. I mean, the fact that Bukayo Sako just accelerated onto the scene. It's very interesting talking to Southgate because he often goes back to the sort of New Zealand, no that New Zealand approach, you know, the sweep the sheds, you've got to be a good good civilian, a good citizen. You've got to be a good team person. You don't want people who are going to rock the boat. And he's often mentioned that about Bukayo Saka, about how keen he is to learn. He's, he's hunger. I mean, he's so young, he's still a teenager. So absolutely, I can see one or two. You know, Ainsley Maitland-Niles has absolutely focused and become a more sort of disciplined player working under Mikel Arteta. I mean, I, was, I can remember being at a cup game last year at Fratton Park and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I think, had scored or he'd been on the bench and there were one or two issues and Arteta said, well, listen, he's got to learn. And he has learned. So these kids are learning. They realise that there is a pathway. I think the one wild card, well, I can't even call him that because he plays for Manchester United, but talent who I would love to see absolutely shift up one more gear in 2021 is Mace Greenwood. Because I think there, England have a potential, I mean, just a truly sensational player in the making because he's, Arne Gunnar-Solskjaer always tells this story about he was watching him in training and had a sort of coffee with uh, Mason Greenwood afterwards as he was making his way through. And he said, which is your better foot? And he meant it as a compliment. He's, he can take penalties with left or right. He can finish with either. But it was interesting. I was at uh, Vicarage Road for a cup game where Manchester United were playing and Mason Greenwood had come on and he'd done well. And we were talking to Solskjaer afterwards and uh, said, how good can Greenwood become? Because as a lot of managers do, they start a talent out wide and eventually they end up playing through the middle. And he says he will end up being a great centre forward for Manchester United and for England. He's got to learn. There's elements of his game that he's got to learn, particularly heading. And he said, yeah, he can go on and become a great uh, player, but he needs to develop his heading. I'm here at training if he wants to sort of stay on. And there was almost a slight dig there of Mason Greenwood. You've got this natural talent. Now build on it. Whatever. If you've got any distractions off the field, any issues that you're going through, we all know this is an issue with, with young players. Just focus. And you can be, you know, you can be fantastic. We saw, I mean, I was out in Iceland and it was very unfortunate. He broke the, uh, the, the quarantine guidelines by inviting some girls back to the England hotel. He got sent home in disgrace, missed the next game, the next round of games. And I hope he learns because there's a fabulous centre forward in there. I mean, I love Marcus Rashford, but Rashford can work beautifully coming in from the flank. Sterling's obviously best out wide. Um, but I think... Greenwood just could be a sensation with that pace, two-footed balance, the ice-cold nature that he has, the ice in his veins that he has. So, look, you can keep coming up with more and more players, and that's the great thing, and a compliment to EPPP and the English Academy system at the moment, that they are developing mm. these players and they're getting a chance. It's inter- I mean, it's interesting to see. It'll be very interesting to see how Southgate manages Greenwood's return. I'd like to talk a little bit more about Southgate, the man and the manager. Um, just want to take a quick break. Henry, Gareth Southgate strikes me as, um, I mean, you've seen England managers going back to, you won't mind me reminding you, you've, you've seen them going back to, to Terry Venables, I guess, was the first that you covered as a reporter. Um, uh, and, I go slightly, slightly earlier than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd, yeah, but he's, yeah. But he's, Southgate strikes me as the, the first, he's the first England manager who's been a player in the modern Sort of moneyed Premier League era, and and he seems to understand how players tick, and what makes these young millionaires tick in a way that that maybe Capello or Ericsson wasn't bothered about. Is that is that a fair assessment? 
it's very true. It's funny, actually. I was, I was laughing because just before you went into the break and you said, right, let's talk about the England manager, a siren went off outside your house. <laughs> so uh, I don't know whether you've, you've not paid the milk bill or whatever, but um, that, that always just makes me laugh because there's always sirens going off when you talk about the England manager because there are always issues. You mentioned Ericsson. I think Ericsson was probably a little bit too indulgent with his players, particularly the senior ones. Capella just didn't understand them. We talked to Capella about this. We said, uh, well, what are you going to do when you get out to South Africa? You know, you've got the players effectively in a type of lockdown in Rustenburg. It'll be a five-star retreat, but it's effectively a five-star prison. What are they going to do? And he looked slightly bemused that we would ask this question because he's been used to being with sort of Beresi and Maldini discussing Verdi over coffee and playing chess. And, you know maybe Costa Curta in the background playing the piano. And I was going, you know, you've got Wayne Rooney out here. You know, he, I mean, to be fair to Rooney, you know, Rooney's at, in that World Cup. You know, there's a lot of background to, to Rooney, an interesting character. But the England players need to be entertained. They need a games room. Southgate realised that. And I think he's allowed the, sort of, the, the families to come in. Obviously, that's going to be a lot easier with uh, certainly three of the games in, in England. He's, a, he's sort of seen them as human beings. He's handled it really well. Just kind of taking the tension out of, out of England. Little things like the darts tournament in the World Cup. And a lot was made out of that. But that was just a laugh. You know, the fact that journalists would be, were playing darts with, with the players. I think Jamie Vardy is still worth having as a wild card on the bench. If you just pleaded to Jamie Vardy and said, listen, last 10 minutes of a game against Czech Republic, we need to nick a goal to, to help us go through. Will you be there for us? I still think Vardy's got a role to play his impact from the bench, but also his impact and his character around the camp. So Harry Maguire... There's a rivalry between the two of them, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. But there's a Harry Maguire was was giving a was just talking to us at the at England's base during the World Cup in Russia, and uh, there are about sort of ten of us sort of sitting around on chairs. And Jamie Vardy came in at the back, and the FA person went, "Well, any more questions for Harry Maguire?" And Vardy put his hand up. He said, "Jamie Vardy, Leicester bugle, Mr. Maguire, why have you got such a slab head?" <laughs> and he was just because he gets called slabhead and it was just to have that sort of humour, those characters. Look, they've got Declan Rice, who's just such a character. I mean, I've never told this story before, and I'm sure he won't mind if I tell it, but I was interviewing Jack Wilshire when he was at the West Ham training ground last year, and Jack was in his car doing the, the Zoom on his mobile phone. And he was sitting in the back, and he stupidly left his uh, car unlocked. And Declan Rice comes through the window. He's just sort of crawling into the window and sort of trying to get sort of involved. And he said, oh, you're speaking to the Times, look at you. And he's just got this a bullion. He's one of life's upbeat characters. You can see with his relationship with Mason Mount. And there's another player we, you know, we, haven't, we haven't talked about. That's, you know, that Mason Mount, Southgate loves Mason Mount. It wouldn't be a complete surprise if he didn't start. And, you know, there is a case for some of the games you're starting Rice and Mount as your midfield too it'd be brave and whether Southgate will do that is another issue but look or to have these characters around Maguire's a good character Dyer's a really interesting individual Ben was very sort of upbeat character Kane's slightly quieter but he's so respected Sterling has got access all areas everyone's got so much respect for Raheem Sterling because he's a leader and I think if you look at all these individuals, so many of them during lockdown to return to lockdown 
and Southgate's often mentioned this, about how impressed he's been with them as leaders. Rashford, you know, running rings around the Prime Minister and, and basically feeding the nation's youth. Harry Kane's been involved in a lot of uh, initiatives. Raheem Sterling with his work on diversity. Jordan Henderson with the, you know, the players together. Harry Maguire's been doing a lot of work. You know, they, they all have, Trent Alexander, you know, they, they all, they've all been doing, they've all shown leadership off the field. And I think Southgate likes that he wants good men as well as good players he, so, he does seem to be a very good judge of characters because if i mean if you're going to use the number of players that he's used and pick the number of players you're not going to have much time to assess them in the games i mean some of the players have had you know 45 minutes and then been discarded it, it, i mean is it the case that he is that judge of character and he, he's been able to sort of discard players pretty quickly because he can he's able to make a snap judgment about not just their playing ability but also their personality I think and so. You also, I guess also, you also need mad management skills as well to tell people because there's going to, he's used a lot of players and there's going to be a lot of disappointed players come May or June. Yeah, and that's good in a way because it shows if they're disappointed, they felt they had a chance of going and it shows their quality. Absolutely, there'll be a lot of disappointed players. But I think everyone's seen the pathway. He's given them a chance. There's another tournament, Qatar, coming up shortly afterwards. But what I find interesting about the sort of, you know, the, he won't have rogues, he just wants good citizens teams that he played in with England you know there's some real characters in there I mean I was out in show my age I was out in Hong Kong when England were out there and we we had this agreement the players were going to one bar and the press were going to another bar and would would see you back at Bisham Abbey and um, got off the plane slightly hung over 24 hours later to pictures of dentist chairs and Cathay Pacific. And then England went on, because Terry Venables used it very well, the collective responsibility, the siege mentality. And that is the uh, probably the best thing in the team I've seen in terms of quality all over, in terms of leaders. And there, you know, if you want some characters in there, rogues, call me what you want. You had Gaza in the middle of it. It's a balance. You talked about Southgate's initiative, really, with the media, that, you know, the, that 23 mm. players being made available. Was that his initiative? Or did it come from the FA as well? Is that relate the better relationship with the media? Is that going to help relations in the summer and expectations in the summer? Because it happens with England every time, doesn't it? This, this huge wave of expectation suddenly sort of arrives uh, suddenly just before a tournament. I think that's been tempered post-Germany. I wrote a book with Stephen Gerrard. I remember him writing about England turned up in Germany. We went around Germany blowing our, our own trumpet and came home mute with silence and embarrassment. I think there has been a little bit more perspective, calm from the media, and certainly in the players' pronouncements. Look, you want them to win, but you just don't want them sort of gloating and crowing about it. I think the relationship with Southgate's interesting. When he got the job, I dropped him a text and said, listen, congratulations, good luck with it. Obviously, you know, you are stepping into uh, the hottest chair in the country, probably outside of Downing Street you will get criticism. And I, but, you know what, having, having been at Wembley at Euro 96 and the situation that he was in having missed that penalty, I mean, he's often said, he basically said to the press when he got the England manager's job, said, listen, nothing you can do to me can compare with the pressure and the torment and the abuse from supporters that I received in, in 96. So in a way, maybe there'd be an element of symmetry of, England win a semi-final at Wembley on penalties. <laughs> I don't know. He's look. He's he's very popular, but he will. I mean, look, I've criticised him. I mean, I think that he's he's been a little bit overcautious at times. I'm not a fan of three-four-three, three, but you can't argue with the fact that he got to 
the tournament, the, the semi-finals at World Cup, when I thought they would probably get to the quarter-finals at best. So long may it continue. The FA have set some ambitious targets, haven't they? With this um, this idea of Qatar in twenty twenty two as the that's been knocked that down. I mean, the whole yeah. Well, we asked him about the uh, the famous was it the Greg Dyke clock that was put up at uh, St George's Park, counting down to England's hour of destiny in Qatar. I think that has been slightly removed. The clock end is no longer at St George's Park. No, I think it's right they have ambitions, and I think this team has certainly got a final in them. I wouldn't say that necessarily capable of winning because look you've got to look how you know England don't have an Mbappe you know England don't have defenders of the quality of the French the Belgians I can see Lukaku troubling England again I, I think England will get out of that group but look England have got to be respectful of Croatia even if Croatia getting slightly older Scotland will give England an absolute test put it this way I think the word perspective has finally come back into the uh, the language of the England dressing room yeah Henry it's been great to speak to you Hopefully, this summer we'll be in a press box together at Wembley, as we were at the World Cup final in Moscow. Hopefully, a Wembley stadium full to the rafters with, with supporters from, from England and Scotland and elsewhere. And it's been great to speak to you, and thanks ever so much for your time. Yeah, good catching up, Gavin. And let's hope the fans are back for Wembley, because that will all the all the games, because football has so missed supporters. And we've missed you, Gavin. <laughs> thanks for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, And you want to find out more, there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship. You can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever I release a new episode. And you can find out more great sports podcasts on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just head to sport-social.co.uk. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. Follow and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.